Well, as we welcome our friends in the Community Life Center, let me invite everybody to join once again in turning to the Gospel of Luke. We are still in Luke chapter 13 as we continue our journey through Luke's Gospel between now and Easter as Luke tells us the story of Jesus, the story of his life, his death, and ultimately of his resurrection. We are far along in the story now. Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem. We will refer to that again in a moment. But they are anticipating, or at least Jesus is anticipating, what will happen when he gets there. And it's important to know that because that's in the backdrop of everything else that we read now. That frames all of the stories that Luke tells us. With that in mind, let me invite you to follow along from Luke chapter 13 as we read together, beginning in verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Just east of the city of Jerusalem, there is a low mountain called the Mount of Olives. Between the western slope of the Mount of Olives and the eastern slope of the city of Jerusalem is what's called the Kidron Valley. And though we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in the story at this point, that mountainside and that valley is where so many of the events of Jesus' final week of life on earth occurred. It's where the triumphal procession took place on Palm Sunday as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It's where Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where he was arrested to be drugged the whole length of that valley to stand trial before Caiaphas, the high priest. Well, if you go there today and visit, you will find that on the western slope of that Mount of Olives, overlooking that Kidron Valley, there is a small teardrop-shaped chapel that is called in Latin, Dominus Flavit. The chapel was built in the early 1950s, and the window behind the altar of that chapel offers a stunning panoramic view of the holy city out in front of you. Right in the center of the view is the Temple Mount, where the Jerusalem Temple once stood. 
Slightly to the right and just a little farther off in the distance, you can see the dome from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which was built later to mark the traditional place where many say that Jesus was crucified and buried. At the base of the valley, you can see the Golden Gate, which is the gate through which Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Just to the left, you can see the top of the Western Wall, which is all that's left of the old temple. It's hard to absorb all that happened in that small bit of real estate that you see through that one window. But as fascinating as the view behind the altar may be, what has always intrigued me the most about it is what's on the altar. The front of the altar in that church is adorned with an intricate tile mosaic depicting a large chicken with its wings spread wide and a brood of baby chicks gathered underneath. Now at first glance you might think that that's an odd image to find in somebody's worship space. I've had the chance to visit church buildings in at least five different countries that I can recall, and with this one exception, don't think I've ever seen a chicken in any of them. And if you're looking for an animal image to put in your worship space that can convey something to us about the nature of God, the Bible gives us some pretty good options. In Hosea chapter 13, for example, God is compared to a ferocious bear that is attacking because it's being robbed of its cubs. Deuteronomy chapter 32 speaks of God as a mighty eagle that stirs up her nest. Revelation chapter 5 speaks of Jesus as the lion of Judah. But a chicken? How clumsy and ordinary and awkward. And yet the builders of this chapel chose a chicken to represent something about Jesus. If you know something about the story behind that image, you can begin to understand why. See, tradition holds, and we have no way of proving this, but tradition holds that this chapel is built on the spot where Jesus stood and wept over the city of Jerusalem as he made his entrance on Palm Sunday. That's why the chapel is built in the shape of a teardrop. The Latin name of the chapel, Dominus Flavit, when translated into English, literally means the Lord wept. Now, again, we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves. you got to flip over to Luke 19 to read about Jesus standing there and weeping. And today we're in Luke 13. And in Luke 13, Jesus hasn't yet gotten to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is decidedly and purposefully where he is heading. We've known that ever since Luke chapter 9, in which we are told in verse 51 that Jesus, quote, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, Jerusalem is where he's going. It's where his heart and mind is heading. And in Luke's gospel, everything that Luke tells us has to be read with that knowledge in mind. And the challenge is that Jesus already knows what will happen when he gets there. He knows the kind of reception he will get. He knows that ultimately he will be rejected and crucified. And that's why in today's reading, we read that he laments over Jerusalem. 
He's still weeks away and miles away from getting there. But he's already anticipating what will happen when he gets there. And so already he is in agony and he is in sorrow. But his sorrow is not for himself and what he knows will happen to him. His sorrow is for the city of Jerusalem. Which is to say his sorrow is for the people he came to save, but who will not receive his offer. You see, Jesus' greatest desire and his very mission is to gather the people of God safely back into God's kingdom. Those who have rebelled against God, those who have turned away from his love, those are the ones Jesus has come to save, and yet those are the ones who will refuse to be saved. That's where the chicken imagery comes into play. The builders of that chapel are drawing from two different passages of Scripture. They're drawing in part from Luke chapter 19 when we read that Jesus literally stands and weeps as he enters the city. But then in today's reading, Luke 13, as Jesus anticipates that, Jesus actually, through his own words, compares himself to a chicken. To a female chicken, to be exact. Jesus compares himself to a hen who wants to gather the chicks safely under her wings. How often, he says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. The reason Jesus feels such anguish is because he knows the people that he came to save will refuse the offer. Like chicks running away from the hen, they will expose themselves instead to all sorts of threats. Jesus, the mother hen. I wonder if that inspires us to worship. Perhaps it should, because there is something about a mother hen that is worth honoring. I'll acknowledge that a hen may not inspire fear at first sight, but a hen is every bit as interested in protecting her young as is the roaring lion or the prowling bear. The only difference is in how she does it. The bear and the lion defend their young with their paws and their fangs and their brute strength and fight away the attacker. But the hen defends her young with her own body. The mother hen fluffs out feathers and spreads her wings over her chicks and says essentially, if you want to take my babies, you will have to kill me first. I read one account of a barnyard fire from which the trapped animals could not escape. Once the fire was out, the charred body of a hen was removed, only to find several chicks underneath her body who were still alive. She had literally laid herself on top of them and shielded them from death by stretching herself out over. 
That's important to remember because the way the scriptures tell the story, there is something out there that is threatening the chicks. There is a fox on the loose. He's sneaking around, he's lurking in the shadows, and he's wanting nothing more than to destroy the brood. And in today's passage, in the words that we just read, the fox is compared directly to Herod, whom, according to the Pharisees, want to kill Jesus. That shouldn't surprise us. We've known from Matthew's gospel that after Jesus was born, Herod the Great hatched a murderous plot to destroy Jesus by killing all the boys in and around Bethlehem that were two years of age or younger. Now that was the old Herod, Herod the Great, and he was about as ruthless a king as you could ever meet. We know from history that he ordered the death of at least one wife and several sons because he perceived them to be threats to his power. That had happened 33 years earlier. Since then, Herod the Great had died, and one of his sons, Herod Antipas, had come to power in the area around Jerusalem. And Herod Antipas was no fonder of people who threatened him than was his father. We know that by this point, Herod had already had John the Baptist beheaded because John dared to call Herod out on an illegal and immoral marriage. And Herod didn't take too kindly to having some pesky prophet challenge him. Now Herod senses that Jesus is becoming a threat and he is apparently looking for an opportunity to get rid of him. But in spite of the warnings... Jesus refuses to be deterred. Remember what we saw in Luke 9, 51. Jesus has resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's his destination. That's his destiny. He's got a job to do, a mission to complete, and he's not going to let anyone or anything stop him from doing it, not even some pesky king. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, you go tell that fox. And I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. And that might sound a little strange at first, but if you pay attention to the numbers they start to make sense. Jesus doesn't mean when he says that that he's only three days from Jerusalem. The truth is we have no idea how long it will take him to get there from where we are today. The third day in this case... It's almost certainly a reference to his resurrection. Jesus will be crucified. He will be buried. And then he will be raised back to life on the third day. That is his goal. That's his purpose. That's his mission. To go to Jerusalem and offer himself up as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then to be raised back to life on the third day is the perfect vindication of his suffering love. So Herod can make all of the threats and all of the bluster that he wants to, but Jesus will not be deterred. He will reach his goal. Jesus, the mother hen, will not be chased away by Herod the fox. Of course, you can take this story and substitute just about any other name for Herod and the story still works. You can look at Herod as a kind of stand-in for all of the powers and the principalities of this world that have set themselves up in opposition to God. Herod represents any force, any institution, any person, any idea, any power that wants to control us dominate us, frighten us, 
anything that would try to keep us from fulfilling what God has in store for us, be it the government, the corporation, the crowd, the divorce, the bankruptcy, or the nagging fear and doubt that keeps us awake at night, anything that might want to make us turn away from what God intends. Mostly you can think of Herod in this case as a stand-in for Satan and for the sin that he uses to drag us away from obedience to God. And so Jesus says, go tell that fox that I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. Jesus will not be deterred from accomplishing what he set out to do. Even though it's going to cost him dearly. Jesus, the mother hen, will put himself between his beloved children and the evil of the world. And will say, essentially, if you want my babies, you will have to kill me first. Which is exactly what happened. Because on a dark Friday, the fox struck and the mother hen died. That fact is made all the more tragic by the way the chicks refused the offer. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Those words aren't just a reference to the few thousand people that happened to live in the city of Jerusalem at that particular point in time in history. They are a reference to anyone who refuses the love of God. Who refuses to respond to Jesus' gracious offer to gather us safely under His wings. The opening chapter of John's Gospel speaks to that refusal when it says it this way. Jesus was in the world and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive him. The chicks run away from the hen. Just so we're clear, that's us, those words are talking about. We are the ones who refuse to come out of the darkness and into the light. We are the ones who refuse to gather under the safety of His wings. We are the ones who refuse to take up His offer of salvation. We are the ones Jesus is weeping over. My dad's friend called him in tears one day. Over the last several years, his friend had been sharing with him the struggle he was having with his son's addiction. He'd made multiple attempts to help, had arranged repeatedly for his son to be admitted to rehab facilities and undergo sessions with drug counselors and just about anything else he could think of, but nothing seemed to be working. He called to say that his son had once again checked himself out of a rehab center and was stranded in another city with nowhere to turn. And through tears, he said that this time his addiction had caused him to run afoul with a local drug gang. 
he owed them money, and the father was literally afraid of the son's life. So he and my dad got in the car, drove across two states, and under the cover of darkness found him, loaded him up with nothing but the clothes on his back, and headed out for safety. And as they drove home, the father made call after call, begging and pleading and making financial commitments until finally he worked out a deal. And by the time they arrived back home, he had secured his son a bed at a state-of-the-art rehab facility. This time there was hope for real change. Maybe this time the son would break free from the grips of his addiction. The last I heard, That son had once again checked himself out of rehab and was living out of the back of a van somewhere. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. You've ever cared about someone you loved who simply would not respond to your love and to your pleas for their good, then you've tasted just a little bit of the emotion that Jesus is expressing today. The wayward child who won't turn back no matter how much you plead. A friend who is wrecking his marriage no matter how much you encourage him to leave his mistress behind. A co-worker who is heading down a dangerous path no matter how much you try to show him the risk. A loved one who refuses to hear the gospel no matter how much you pray. If you've ever loved someone you could not shave or protect or shield, then you know the pain. You have spread your arms open wide and offered them love, but you cannot make them receive it. That is why Jesus is lamenting. That is why Jesus weeps. That is why Jesus feels anguish and sorrow. Not because He goes to lay down His life, but because we refuse to accept the offer. Jesus came to offer up His life, and yet we stubbornly insist on having life on our terms. Thinking that somehow we know better. Jesus came to give us true joy, and yet we insist on trading that in for the momentary pleasures that this world offers us. Jesus came to offer us true fulfillment, and yet we insist on trading that away in exchange for shallow self-fulfillment. Most importantly, Jesus came to offer us His righteousness so that by the sheer power of His grace, we can stand fully accepted before God, and yet we insist on holding on to our sin, thinking that somehow, maybe we know better and don't need Him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. 
but you were not willing. The good news is that it's not too late, at least not yet. That old fox, Satan, is still on the prowl. He would love nothing more to snatch us up. And as we saw last week, if we tarry too long, we may just give him that opportunity. There may come that moment when we are simply too exposed and he will have his way with us. But for now, the mother hen is still standing with her wings open wide. Still inviting us to gather beneath their safety. Still offering up her own body. Protect us from the fox. Will we receive the offer? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are humbled that you would come to save the likes of us. Though we do not deserve it, you have offered up the life of your very own Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from sin and call us back into the safety of a relationship with you, which would be secured for all eternity if we would but accept the offer. Forgive us our stubbornness. Forgive us our refusal to turn from our own way. Forgive us our unwillingness to receive your gift. Humble us, call us, save us, O oh God. We make this prayer in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus offers himself to all of us. If we've never received him, he says, come and I will give you life. If we've received him but strayed from him, he says, come back to me. If we're following him but have become apathetic, he says, let me open your eyes and your hearts to new wonders and new, new, new avenues of service. Wherever we are, he's calling us, offering up himself as our guide, our protector, and our savior. If he can offer all day long, it is for naught if we don't receive it. I pray that as we close out our worship time, we will heed the call.